Football is officially back, and we've got you covered right here on the Ringer NFL feed. I'm Shiel Kapadia, and every Tuesday and Friday, Ben Solak and I will be bringing you Extra Point Taken. Nora Princiati here to tell you that Steven Ruiz and I will be coming to you every Monday and Thursday. Our Monday show will recap everything from Sunday's games. Thursday's show will encompass any news during the week with an eye towards the next slate of games. Subscribe to the Ringer NFL show on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to follow the Ringer NFL on Instagram, TikTok and Twitter at Ringer NFL. It's New York, New York, presented by FanDuel. Take a shot at betting the NBA with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub, filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same game parlays all on one page. Plus, start betting on the Explore page and the Pulse and bet live same game parlays for every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 100 Gambler or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. Let's roll, baby. Welcome in. It is a Monday edition. I was going to say late Sunday edition. It really is Sunday for me, but you get my drift. If you're listening right now, it's a Monday edition of New York, New York, with yours truly, J.J. Johnson-Stremski. We are cooking. We are rocking and rolling right here on the Ringer Podcast Network as the New York Jets give you a classic close but no cigar type of effort against Mahomes and Kelsey and the Swifties, and the Kansas City Chiefs, and the Jets fought valiantly. They're in the game. They rally from down 17 to nothing, but not good enough as they lose 23 to 20 to the Kansas City Chiefs. And there are a bunch of things to dissect from this particular game, so I don't know what direction I want to start. Here's where I'm going to start. The quarterback. Because people like me, and I know I have a responsibility in this because I consider myself a voice of the New York fan, whether I'm a fan of your team or not. I know your frustrations. I know your concerns. I know what you guys and gals are all about. And listen, every Jeff fan in my life, every single Jeff fan in my life has seen enough of Zach Wilson after his performance Sunday against the New England Patriots. Joe Namath had seen enough of Zach Wilson. Got to give credit what credit is due. Outside of the fumble, which, yes, was a catastrophic turnover and killed the Jets in the fourth quarter. There's no getting around that. There's no beating around the bush. That said, I would argue Sunday night was one of the most productive games I have seen Zach Wilson play. 
the Jets clearly opened up the offense a lot more. They clearly allowed him to go and make more things happen. And let's be honest, if that was a point of emphasis for Nathaniel Hackett to get Zach Wilson going, it worked out. I mean, look at his stat line. He's 28-39. He throws for 245 yards. And the drive that I think is going to be the most positive vibe that you saw from Wilson's perspective. If you are just banking on the fact that he can use this now as a building block, as something to grow from, as something to learn from and move forward with some semblance of success, the drive for Zach Wilson out of the locker room in the second half of this game was absolutely fantastic. I mean, he made some beautiful back shoulder throws. He looked like a darn good NFL quarterback. And I I think what you saw with that particular drive is why scouts were so enamored with this quarterback when he came out of BYU. All of the physical tools are there. The arm strength is there. The mobility is there. Is the wherewithal to play the position, the smarts, reading the defense, progressing, going through your reads and learning and offense, that, that's a story for a different day. That's where there are major questions still about this quarterback where you wonder, like you saw last week against the Patriots, if he can play, can he even be functional? This was one of those games, he was more than functional. He put his tail off. This game today is not about Zach Wilson in the least. So he got ragged on, he got spit on all week. Give the kid credit. Now, before I am going to sit here and start turning this performance into some sort of Zach Wilson renaissance or some sort of idea that his career now is salvaged, that he's going to be a force for the Jets, that these are just signs of things to come. No pun intended, cool the Jets. That's where this quarterback, and I was standing out in the newsroom, sitting watching the second half of the game here at SOI. He's like the girl with the curl. He is so tantalizing, I'm sure to a lot of people in that building the GM included, because they see the skills. They see the talent, but they can't harness the talent. In order for me to feel like Zach's turning a corner, it can't just be one game in a losing effort against the Kansas City Chiefs. It's got to be, okay, go to Denver, bad Denver defense, build on it. Following week, Philadelphia, good defense, build on it again and again and again and again. And then if we're sitting here a month from now, after that Jet Giant game in late October, Maybe we are singing a different tune. But that, to me, is where you got to start with this game because the Jets went in. They were massive underdogs. They were seven-and-a-half-point underdogs. And this brings me to my next conversation. The defense got hosed at the end of the game. There's no getting around that. The call on Sauce Gardner on third and 20 was absolutely horrific. It was horrific. It was a bad call. It was a late call. It was a flag that should have never been thrown. But before I hear anyone today start telling me that the Jets got, quote-unquote, hosed in this game where they should have won the game, not so fast. For starters, don't spot the Chiefs a 17-0 lead. You want to go and beat Patrick Mahomes and the great Kansas City Chiefs you got to play for four quarters. They spotted him at 17 out the lead. You can't ignore that. Did they rally from it? 
Did they get their pressures going? Did they settle in after the safety? 1,000%. They clearly settled in after that particular point in time. But you, you can't ignore, like, all of a sudden, the first you know, 10 minutes of the game that they don't count, that it didn't happen. It did happen. That, to me, is where the defense got to take a little bit of a hit here. In addition to that, before you get to the back-breaking call and the terrible penalty, Mahomes had a scamper. I know there was a defensive holding on the call. Patrick Mahomes has got to go for a 25-yard scamper on third and 20-something. Unacceptable. This is what I mean when I talk about the Jet defense. It's very talented. There's no getting around that. They got a lot of guys who get after the quarterback. They have two really good corners. I think defensively speaking, they are well-structured and they are well-coached. I don't know if as a team they are well-coached, but as a defense, they are well-coached. You want to win games like the one that was presented to you on Sunday night, that sort of stuff can't happen. And it did happen. And that is why when I talk about the Jet defense, it was probably going to get me, you know, all sorts of trouble from Jet fans who are like, oh, our defense is great. It's good. It's very good. It's not great. Because if it's great, that stuff doesn't happen. Your offense did its part tonight. Again, outside of the Wilson turnover, which was soul-crushing. As well as he played, that was a major blow in this particular game. You can't spot him 17 points. And if you would have told me before the game, hey, Jets scored 20 points in this game, I would have liked their chances. I absolutely would have liked their chances. So that's where the defense is missing that extra ingredient to go and push you over the top. Did I like the fight from the Jets today? 1,000%. Did I like the play from the quarterback today? I absolutely did. But it wasn't good enough. Now you're playing Kansas City. Mind you, with Kansas City, they tend to do this to a lot of different teams. They toy with you. They fool around with these particular games, but then they find ways to win. The Jets caught themselves in one of those kind of spots tonight. Before I'm going to make tonight an overwhelming positive, which you can't do. They lost the game. They're 1-3. and three, And trouble waits. That's obvious. If I'm going to paint a positive picture on this game and where the Jets are going moving forward, it's not about tonight. It's about how you respond, how you get off the mat and go to Denver and go and win in Denver. That, to me, is what it's all about. If Zach Wilson goes and looks the way he did against the hapless New England Patriots, I don't give a rat's ass about this performance. It means nothing to me. If the Jet defense can't go and play a monstrous game next Sunday, then what they did after the first quarter in this game means nothing to me. Simple as that. You got to turn the page quickly and move on to the next opponent and gain your momentum that way. But this definitely buys Wilson, I think, at least another week. You know the Jets don't want to be in a position where they are benching this youngster. They don't want to do it. They don't want to play Tim Boyle. They don't want to play Trevor Simeon. But if they're in a position where they have to, they're going to play him. But it's close, but no cigar for the Jets. One and three. And this Denver game is going to be telling. From a fight standpoint, from a quarterback standpoint, from a coaching standpoint, Remember, you got the whole Nathaniel Hackett, Sean Payton narrative and storyline that's going to be played up throughout the course of this week. So this is the game to me 
personally, that's going to tell us a lot about where the 2023 Jets are going to go in October, in November, and in December. Sunday, 425 against the Broncos. Close but no cigar against the Kansas City Chiefs. Now, there was monstrous news, and maybe I buried the lead to some of you, but we're coming off Sunday night football, and we're going to do that. The Mets made a managerial change. And Buck Showalter on Sunday managed his last game for the New York Mets, which is stunning from this standpoint. It's not stunning from the idea of the way this season has kind of shook out. It's certainly not stunning because of what transpired with David Stearns, where Steve Cohen made it abundantly clear. David Stearns coming over from the Milwaukee Brewers is the director of baseball operations. David Stearns is calling the shots. David Stearns is running the operation. And David Stearns, I am sure, made it clear to Steve Cohen, hey, I want my own manager. No disrespect to Buck Showalter. We don't have a relationship. I am bringing in my own guy. That's how it's going to be. And Steve Cohen said, absolutely. Because that's what I'm paying you to do. And I think that's the unfortunate nature of Buck's dismissal after two years as Met manager. But it is wild thinking about how Buck will be remembered for managing the Mets. His first year, for 150-plus games, Buck Showalter was the absolute post of New York City. The Mets last year were in first place all season. They won north of 100 games. They were this feel-good, fun team to watch that played the game the right way. And the following year, he's out. He's out more so to me because of Stearns than it is 2023 unraveling. I don't think 2023 unraveling is worthy of Buck Showalter losing his job. I don't. I don't think that's fair. I don't think that's right. I don't think that's reasonable. However, if we're being logical about this, if you're bringing in someone to call the shots in the organization, they are the individual. They are going to be the person that makes the call on who the manager should be. If there is dissension, then Steve Cohen shouldn't have hired David Stearns to begin with. He should have said, no, 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 no. We got the wrong guy because this is not what we're looking to present for our organization. You got to allow David Stearns to go and do his job. I feel for Buck Showalter. I like him personally. I think in some ways he's getting the shaft as far as this goes. But I think ultimately the Mets are doing right by how they're looking to do their business. Now, as far as who's next for the New York Mets, look, I think the obvious choice is going to be Craig Council. But the question around Council, does he want the job? Mets could pay him a lot more, but he's going to be away from his family. They've talked about this idea. It might be a little bit burnt out, potentially in Milwaukee. I don't know if there's truth in that. You also have to wonder, how tight is that relationship with David Stearns? Is he buddy-buddy with David Stearns? Uh, are they guys that kind of went at it during their time and their tenure in Milwaukee? I'm not in Milwaukee. So I'll be doing my digging and research over the next few days to try to get a sense and get a feel for what that Stearns Council partnership looks like and what the idea might be of Council managing the team. Listen, Council's a phenomenal manager. He's an analytics guy. The Mets are going to hire someone 
who is very much analytical. They, they are. They are going to have somebody in here who is very immersed in that particular language. Council happens to be very good at it, though. That's the thing. If it's not council, though, that to me is where this managerial search gets fascinating. Do they make a call for Beltron again? Is it Joe Espada because of David Stern's ties to the Astros? Remember, he worked on that Astro staff, Espada, even though he wasn't necessarily there when David Stearns was there. You get my drift. He's there now. Stearns has buddies there. They talk. They chat. Espada's been waiting a long time to manage. Maybe he's the guy who gets the job. Maybe they have a relationship with Gabe Kapler, who is a little too analytical for my liking, even though he did a great job two years ago at San Francisco. But that was doing some real wacky shit this year, and the Giants have decided basically enough is enough. It's amazing. The Giants go and fire a manager who won 110 games like two years ago. And yet here we are, and nothing is announced, nothing is official. But basically all you need to know about what's going on with the Yankees, these stories from the Yankee media are basically, well, Sean Casey's coming back as the hitting coach. So if you can connect the dots on that one, if Sean Casey, who is Aaron Boone's good pal from Cincinnati, if he's coming back to be the hitting coach, well, what do you think that means about the manager? It clearly means the manager is coming back. And again, Aaron Boone was not the reason the Yankees stunk up the joint in 2023. Let me make that abundantly clear. He was not the reason. But, you know, you have a year like the Yankees have had, and you even see more comments from Aaron Judge, who clearly, I think, has some sort of issue with the front office, the analytics people. If it's Cashman, I don't know. Something is off there because he's critical of them and he seems to back the manager, I don't care if he backs the manager. If I ran the Yankees, somebody was getting fired the minute the season came to a close. Somebody was getting fired. And what I don't understand, and maybe you guys and gals can help me on this, how do the members of the media in this town continue to give the Yankee brass the pass they are getting? I don't understand it for the life of me. Because it sure seems like it's a different standard than the other teams in town, and it's a different standard than what you're getting throughout Major League Baseball. It's a different standard. It's not official, but I fully expect that we're sitting here in two or three days, Brian Cashman will be back, and Aaron Boone will be back. Worst season since 1992. No changes in the Bronx. Yeah, right on cue. Sounds about right. Why my buddy... Crystal Preston is going to stop by. We'll have some fun with him. Uh, let's rip some voicemails. We come back at 917-382-1151. Snap in action is NFL season with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. That's $200 in bonus bets, win or lose. Monday Night Football, Giants and Seahawks. You need a win. Giants, money line. And get it done against Seattle. You know what else we're going to do? Isaiah Hodgins to hit pay dirt. Like Hodgins to score a touchdown. Let's take Isaiah Hodgins to score the first touchdown of the game. Let's get nuts on Monday night. You've been thinking about joining FanDuel. There's no better time to get in on the action. The app is so easy to use. There's a wide range of betting options, including spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. And FanDuel is now live in Kentucky. Download the app now or take advantage of their great special offers, boosts, and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash NYNY and kick off the NFL season. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. Must be 21 plus in present select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. 
Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. All right, voicemail time. Steph, a uh, lot to talk about on this busy Monday. We didn't even get to the Giant game. And by the way, tomorrow after Giants Seahawks, we'll be rocking Twitter spaces. I wanted to do a pod tonight. Figure we'll do spaces on a Monday night. That'll be an offshoot. And then we'll be back on Thursday with our Football Friday show. And C.J. Uzama, who scored a touchdown for the New York Jets today. So good timing with C.J. now coming on, who's going to be a big part of the show moving forward over the next couple of months. But voicemail, Steph, let's hear him. Let's go. J.J., Ian from Connecticut. The Jets game just ended maybe a minute ago, and I did not think I was going to be as mad as I am tonight. I thought this game was going to be a quick, easy Maybe 25 to 10 wins for the Chiefs. I saw after that first quarter, especially, I thought, you know, this is going to be easy. They're just going to let me down. They're going to go to one and three. And it's going to be another week of hearing the media just destroy Zach Wilson. But no, no. The Jets have become the masters of playing with the heartstrings. Uh, they're just a comedy act at this point. The one time Zach, Zach Wilson would hit, we just saw it. He outplayed Mahomes for three and a half quarters. Think about that. It's so funny to think about. And they still lost. And yeah, I know you're going to hear a lot of bitching about that soft gardener hold probably all week. You're probably going to have 10 other voicemails about it. They had so many chances to win that game. And I think what it really comes down to is towards the end of the first half when the Jets had fourth and one and they opted to kick the field goal. They were, I want to say, I don't have anything in front of me. I want to say they were at probably the 35-yard line. At that point, the offense was humming. They could have gotten a yard. There was just so many of those little things that they just didn't do right. I have heard all off season, the first week, how this is supposed to be a championship caliber defense. Yes, they played like it at times today, but a championship caliber defense doesn't let the Chiefs have like a seven minute drive down the game. That I mean, listen, those two third and twenty calls. I mean, you can't, you just can't do that. The, the only the only people on defense that I could that I could say is bald Quincy Williams. Quincy Williams has become one of the best players on this team. I don't care what anyone says. He's when I, when I saw that rank four next to his name on the PFS thing with the broadcaster, I was surprised. But he showed it tonight. They have Denver next week. They're one and three. They got to win that game. If they don't, they just book it in. They're going to probably be two and four at the bye. You go from there. I think their only real shot making the playoffs got to get one of those six or seven seeds. But if you get an offense that plays like they did tonight, you got a chance. Optimism, but I'm a little bummed out. All right, peace. Listen, you're not wrong. Spotting a team 17 points, it's never ideal. Were there some questionable calls that clearly went against the Jets at the end of this game? Yeah, you're absolutely right about that. But there were a couple of sequences, and I'm glad that you brought these up, where Robert Salah's got to be more aggressive. And maybe the thought process is, hey, I have a quarterback who's done nothing. Let me get points. Let me keep adding to my momentum and whatnot. But you're a thousand percent right. Those two sequences there, kicking field goals in situations where you could have gone for it. When you're playing Patrick Mahomes, they usually come home to roost. Sure enough, it ended up being a situation where it came home to roost. Had chances, but you almost have to play that perfect game to go and beat Kansas City. And here's what we know now about Kansas City in these big games. They are going to get the better of the whistle. We saw it in Cincinnati. 
in the AFC Championship game last year, got the better of the whistle. We saw it in a Super Bowl with the holding call that decided the damn game. Got the better of the whistle. That now is a factor in the quote-unquote handicap when you're playing the Chiefs. You got to be ready for it. When you're playing Michael Jordan, Michael Jordan's going to get the calls. When you're playing LeBron James, Steph Curry, they're going to get the calls. That is kind of where we're at now with Mahomes and the Chiefs. They're going to get the calls. They got a big one tonight. Now, gut feel, do the Jets score a touchdown? Do the Jets score a touchdown if they get the ball back in that situation? I'm going to say no. I'm going to say no. I would have liked to have seen it. I know many of you would have liked to have seen it. So, from that standpoint, sucks. Absolutely sucks. All right, who's next? KJ, this is Jeremy from Long Island. I just watched the Chiefs totally get the game because the refs wanted to give it to them. You saw in that soft play, you know, he double clutches. He looks, oh, he picked it off. Then he throws it. I mean, it's just so blatant. It feels like we got robbed of, of seeing if Zach could really win this game. And although we're three, one and three, I'm going to try to be positive. Last week I came on here and I said, I'm done with Zach. You got to trade for a quarterback. Zach, I watched every sound of his career. This was by far his best game. He did not stop being productive. He made a million of the right choices and the right plays. And I was looking at a lost season, right, down the barrel of that. And I was really upset. And, you know, going to Denver next week should get to two and three. Two and four at the bye with the schedule we have in the second half. If Zach can look like this every game, and he looked like this against the Super Bowl championship defense, I know they're not the best defense. I have hope. And I know we're one and three, and I know the AFC is just challenging, and it sucks that we lost this game. We should have won this game. But I loved watching this version of Zach Wilson, and I'm looking forward to watching it. And I can't even believe I'm saying that. So I hope they keep it going. You have to, have to, have to beat Denver next week. And that was bullshit by the refs at the end. It was. Now, I don't know if your quarterback would have pulled it out and made enough plays to go and win the game. Had a chance to win the game. That fumble, easy snap, got to make that play. Amateur move from Zach. Cross the board. Total amateur move. Now, build on what you did. There was a command. There was a confidence. There were big boy throws that were made in this game against pretty darn good defense. That series, starting out the second half, what can you bottle it up? Can you find a way to channel that now moving forward as you play the rest of these games this year? You see a lot more series like that, then maybe you can start sucking me in. Oh, Aaron Rodgers, maybe he's having an impact. That Daniel Hackett maybe is having an impact. That series is hands down. The best drive and series Zach Wilson has had as an NFL quarterback. Because some of the throws are like, whoa, okay. I like what I'm seeing, big boy. But you have to build on it. It can't just be this anomaly, oh, I had a great series. I got some great series. How are you going to do it next week? Denver's defense stepped down in competition. Justin Fields was torching him for that. That's all you need to know. Justin Fields was torching the Denver Bronco defense. Miami. We had their issues big time today with Buffalo. I couldn't have been more wrong about that game. Well, actually, I told you, Buffalo wasn't going away and Miami went outright. I was right, half right, but not quite with our picks, which were a disaster again. Um, they scored 70 on Denver's defense. 
Zach, give me this again. Build on what you did against the Chiefs. Next. JJ, see from Yorkville. I'm infuriated hearing about Buck Showalter's comments. I think the Mets have embarrassed themselves this entire season. And to allow them to say that he stepped down and him step up to a press conference and say, well, oh, leadership is going in a different direction. I get it. It's business. It's embarrassing. Terrible optics. Terrible job. First step, first turn, and whoever. C.B. Cohen, they got to step up. It's embarrassing for, for a franchise that had one of the most embarrassing fucking that they've had in their embarrassing fucking time since 1963. I'm, I'm, in, I'm very frustrated with the team, and I really hope everyone puts it together. But to do buck like that and to pretend that it's all good and stepping down, oh, we're gonna shoot, we're gonna shoot old Yeller out in the cold. Disgusting, and I'm, I'm, I'm disgusted. I just don't know what exactly you want David Stearns and the Mets to do if he's not their choice to be the manager. I, I get it. You don't love the optic of this coming out in the final day of the regular season. Buck Showalter clearly was not comfortable in giving this to anybody and wanted to be the one to break the news earlier today. And he was definitely emotional about it. Listen, Buck is a very proud guy. Buck is a baseball lifer. And I think part of what you heard and what you saw from Buck is the look and the feel of a guy who kind of knows he's not going to get a chance to manage again. I mean, I'd be betting against it, wouldn't you? He's probably never going to be a big league manager again. And this is a guy who loves to be a manager. So that's heartbreaking. Like, that makes me sad because I think baseball and the game of baseball is a better place with a guy like Buck Showalter in it. But I think you got to be respectful of the fact that these guys, David Stearns is brand new at this job. If, if I hire a GM or a director of ops, I want them hiring their own people. That's cold. That's, that's harsh. That's why anytime there's, like, management change in any sport or really any form of life, it throws monkey wrenches into situations. I mean, listen, I'll give, I'll give you, I love working at the Ringer. Ringer's a fabulous place to work. I love doing what I'm doing right now. I, even though, listen, he was fed off about his patrons. My goodness, patrons stink. I mean, Mac Jones, you want to talk about a loser. You know, I can't believe there were people who had the audacity to sit there and say that Mac Jones is just as good as Tua. I mean, they could take those narratives and, and stick them where the sun don't shine. But anyway, I digress. Uh, the pot father, I love him. He is a wonderful boss, and I'm not just saying it's blowing smoke. Like, he gets it. He's obviously proved it. <laughs> that goes without saying. But, like, in dealing with me and the guys and the gals that we work with, he, you want to work for a guy like that. If he were to leave, it's like, it's like anything. I have the relationship with the person who is in charge, and if that changes, then, well, then your feelings about wherever you might be might change. That's, that's, that's how life is. Listen, I've gone through that. You've gone through different bosses. That's that's the way it is. So from that standpoint, it's a different boss. They got to be allowed to do what they want to do. That may be cruel and unfair to Buck Showalter, but that's got to be allowed. Let's take one more. JJ, still from Bedford. Last week I called you. I blew a gasket after that boss. Not going to do that tonight. It was a stomach punch, gut punch. Um, listen, they, they were resilient. 
They played well. They got into the game, but a couple of things still haunting them. One, I think just this coach just doesn't have a feel for things. Like the, the decision to try to kick the field goal at the end of the first half, that's just, it's a fourth and one. You know, field goals are not going to like, going to be the way to, to beat Patrick Mahomes. He just has never had a feel for those decisions in these games. And I think that's a big part of being a head coach. And then the other thing, um, you know, obviously aside from the giving up the third and 22 and third and 20, obviously that's the game right there. But the things that, that that's haunting me that I can't get out of my mind is Brees Hall had that run that was going to be a touchdown. And Tyler Conklin fell when he was a one blocker left in front. There was only one man to beat. Conklin could have blocked him. Instead, he fell, and then Brees Hall got tackled by him. That was one. And then the very next play, the Jets had a great screenplay set up. That gained, I think, like 12 yards or something. That got called back from McGovern being an eligible man downfield. And so they ended up having first and 15 instead and ended up punting instead of getting any points on that drive. Those two plays back-to-back, all not scoring a touchdown and then the penalty to back them up, that was killer because they had all the momentum at that point. We're about to take the lead. And then they lost as usual. You know what? It's, it's a valiant effort, but it's the same old song here. Yeah, I get it. Um, I totally agree with the coaching and some of the conservative decisions to go and kick field goals in the early portion of the first half. Um, the one on fourth and one, I get, listen, you don't get it there. You're probably kicking a field goal anyway, but it gets you a little closer. You're settling for a long field goal there in that spot. Get get a little closer. You got time to do so. The one when they went from 15 to 12, I couldn't stand. That was one where I'm like, dude, go for this. You're playing the Chiefs. You know you're going to need these points. Now, I'm rewatching the run on the Mahomes play. They could have called the hold. That one's not going to bother me as much as the Sauce Gardner play. The Sauce Gardner play is, is horrific officiating. Horrific. Would have liked to have seen Zach with an opportunity to go win the game. I don't think he would have done it, but I would have liked to have seen that opportunity. And here would be my memo to Jet defense all week. You did a lot of good things. You settled in after the second quarter. The safety, after that face mask, kind of eased them into the game for whatever the reason. Something changed. Something sparked within that team. Don't spot the Chiefs 17 points. Can't do it. Can't do it. Valiant effort. Good fight, not good enough. I don't want to hear moral victories, woe is me next week in Denver. That's got to change. Our buddy Silo is going to join us. We'll have some trivia coming up. Uh, and then remember, tomorrow, Giants, Twitter Spaces, Met Buck reaction, Jet reaction. So we'll do a little bit of everything on our Twitter Spaces. That's coming tomorrow after Monday Night Football. But our buddy, Lepresti, up next. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. 
To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. All right, let's welcome back. He has been on the pod for a couple months now, and a lot has transpired in New York. Uh, a lot has transpired. I don't think you have been on since the big wedding, have you? Oh, God, no. I think it was April. I think it was, uh, we were still- Really? It was that long? We didn't do a summer hit? No, we were doing, uh, I think, probably Rangers-Devils preview or in the middle of that series, somewhere along those lines. So it's been a long time to come and since we had our pal Crystal Presti on New York, New York. Uh, we had an eventful Sunday night game with the Jets. Uh, first off, pal, how we doing? Everything all right? Oh, yeah, other than the fact that uh, we're burning the midnight oil here. Yes, we're sitting here for what it's worth. I'm looking at a clock right now in the SNY Green Room. It is 1.03 on Monday morning. So you're talking to two of the guys that just are burning midnight oil left and right, left and right. So let's get right to it, Sewell. Um, Jets tonight. I thought they would compete. I thought they'd give an effort. I told you this. I bet them plus seven and a half. Line fell from nine and a half to seven and a half. Maybe that was Vegas. Knowing something, I don't know. But I thought the Jet D would show up. They always know. Listen, and we got a little help there at the end with Patrick Mahomes slide down. There were, there were a couple of hoots and hollers in the SOI newsroom. But would you say after this performance for the Jets, glass half full because the quarterback played well and looked the best he's looked maybe in his career? Or is it glass half empty because you spot him a 17-0 lead, you can't make enough plays to win the game? Glass half full, glass half empty for Jets. It's glass half empty for, for this particular opportunity because they had a chance to knock off the Chiefs, which I don't think anybody realistically saw coming. You want to take them with the seven and a half. That's one thing. To actually win the game is another. I would say temporary, cautious, glass half full with the quarterback. But you got to look, it was it was an excellent performance by him outside of dropping the snap and, and losing that fumble, which I give him credit for, you know, basically killing himself and putting the shouldering the blame for the entire loss, you know, himself after the game. That's all well and good. But now let's see more of it. So they opened up the offense. He threw 39 times. They had 14 design runs. So they were very pass heavy tonight. He looked comfortable, right? Especially as the game went along. Once the Jet defense got that safety and everyone kind of settled in, he was letting it rip. He looked confident. He's going through his reads. He's playing with confidence. There were some good 50-50 balls, some real nice placement on some back shoulder throws. He gave you a lot to like. But let's build off of that now. Because, yeah, you're going to play a Broncos team that's not as good as maybe people thought they were going to be. Not that they thought they were going to be great. They'd be improved under Sean Payton. But it's still a road game in Denver, which can be a tough environment. And I just don't have any belief yet that there's going to be consistency with this guy week to week. I want to believe that there's going to be. You can see the potential for it. But until we see him put together a few games where he can play like this or at least close to this level... It's hard to really jump into the deep end and get on board with the Jets just yet. No doubt about it. That's my feeling with Wilson. Great performance tonight. Shuts me up for a week. Shuts up Joe Namath. Listen, he came out, national TV, Taylor Swift's there. It's all this hoopla scrutiny for the game. Played his tail off. I mean, with the exception of the fumble, which was a killer, you can't ignore it. But I'm not going to make tonight from a Jet perspective of, oh, let's destroy the quarterback. He doesn't deserve that tonight. He played well. No, and that's why I like what he said after the game to the media. And, you know, he almost seemed like he was about to cry at the podium. So you can tell it matters to him, which is such a drastic improvement from where we were certainly last year after the, the New England game. And really for a lot of the first two seasons where the vibe was like, you know, does this kid need a reality check? Does he really get it? Does he care? You know, is he willing to be accountable? And those were some of the questions that were being asked about him off the field. 
And it seems like he's done a full 180 from an attitude standpoint. And then you hear Alan Lazard reveal that he basically stepped up in front of the entire team after Salah spoke to them and put the loss on himself. So I'm sure he realizes it's not just about that one play, but from a what you're presenting to the public standpoint and being the quarterback of the team, those are all good signs. So I think he's got that part figured out. Now it's the football side of things week in, week out. So teams are going to go to school now on what they did in this particular ball game. You know, they were very vanilla against New England, opened it up a little bit more in this game. They tried the flea flicker, which if they blocked up a little better, looked like Lazard was open. Maybe that's a touchdown. You know, he missed uh, Conklin in the end zone. He had Garrett Wilson, but there were some other opportunities for them to put up more points in this game. He was good, not perfect, but it's a, certainly a step in the right direction. Now go do it against Denver. Look, everyone's going to make a big deal of the officiating. We all know that. It was a terrible call at the end of the game. Terrible. Terrible, terrible call at the end. Of the Look, game. was there some contact? There was. Um, you can't call that there. Don't like about that specific call was how late that flag came in super late. Yeah, I mean, basically the interceptions being made as that flag's getting thrown. Now, I don't know. Maybe the side judge was reaching for it and couldn't find it, whatever the case may be. But, you know, it, it came in very late. And I don't know that that contact really would have changed the outcome of that play. Mahomes threw some balls up. To- Mahomes played terribly tonight. Played terrible. To me, it looked it looked similar to what Josh Allen did in week one against the Jets. So, I mean, I, I, to me, they look like balls that he basically just tossed up for grabs more so than the Jet defense doing anything. But that's two really good quarterbacks that have had poor performances against the Jet defense now. So maybe I need to give him a little bit of... But here's where I got to roast the Jet defense. Listen, after the safety, they were terrific. They were absolutely fantastic. You're playing a team like the Chiefs. Your quarterback is not playing great. Play well tonight, but in general, he's been awful. Don't spot him a 17-point lead. That's a part of the script. We can't ignore that from a Jet perspective. First three drives, and I can rip through them real quick. First play of the game on Sportsmanlike on Jermaine Johnson. You want to say, hey, the chief guy started it fine. Second man in almost always. They always get that guy. First play of the game, 15. Kelsey, wide open, two chunk plays, first downs. Now they hold him to a field goal, give him credit. You know, they made a stop in the red zone. Fine. They get off the field three points. The next two drives, third and one is the Pacheco touchdown run, which was what, 48 yards? And then a third and two was the Mahomes to Gray touchdown pass where Jordan Whitehead looks like he gets lost in coverage. So Robert Salas talked about, hey, we got to get off the field on third down. You saw it in the Dallas game in week two. There were two opportunities early on in the game, third and shorts. Not only did the Chiefs convert, they stuffed it in the end zone from long distance. If you're a great defense, I don't care who you're playing, and I get it's the Chiefs, cannot happen. Okay, you're feeling on the Jets. They're a month into the year. They're 1-3. We know what happened with Rodgers in week one. Catastrophic. Do you think, Sulo, we will be sitting here after Thanksgiving and the Jets will be in the playoff mix? Um, I'm trying to think of where they're going to be at in their schedule. It definitely lightens up after the bye in that giant game. My concern is, I mean, I just think it's going to take them too long to figure this out. Uh, I mean, they're what? They're one and three already. If they don't win next week, one and four. Then you got the Eagles into the bye. And then the Giant game, which the Jets have more talent, but it's Jets-Giants. Anything can happen. Like, their their margin for error because of this hole that they've dug themselves early on. And by the way, even with Rodgers, I was concerned that this might happen. Now, maybe the games would have played out a little bit differently as far as the scores and, you know, the back and forth and sort of the minutia of each game. But this was a tough early season schedule. And this Denver game becomes, I mean, they lose this game. It's very hard for me to paint. That's the game to me. Listen, they lose this Denver game. I think the wheels are falling off the wagon here. Yeah, but I'm not saying like they're going to, it's going to be a mutiny and the team's going to go berserk or anything like that. But like they just, I I mean, are they going to come? Are they going to turn around and beat the Eagles? 
I mean, if they if they lose Denver and they lose to the Eagles, even if they beat the Giants, you're what two and five? Two and five. That's a big. It's a big comeback trail. And yes, they have some lighter opponents after that, but there, it's a lot of it's a lot of ground to make up. Okay, your Giants Monday night, Seattle, with the back to back on the road in Miami. I would. It better be angry Dolphins after what I saw today in Buffalo, and then Buffalo. The only thing that maybe works in their favor with Buffalo is they'd be coming back from London. London and the fact that Dable. Here's the one thing they'll have in each of those games. Dable knows Tua super well. He was his offensive coordinator in Bama. Now what they're doing is, I mean, McDaniel's doing all sorts of crazy shit. So it's a different animal. I understand that. Uh, but then the Buffalo dynamic. He obviously was there. Coach Josh Allen. A lot of familiarity, comfort level, the whole deal. This is the game, though, they got to win. Listen, they get one of the two games with Miami and Buffalo. It's a miracle you dance and you're super giddy. This game against Seattle. Seattle coming to the East Coast. I understand that. One o'clock is usually when they're pretty good. It's a little different. Extra time. Giants didn't play since that Thursday night game against the Niners. No Thomas. It doesn't look like Barkley's going to be able to give it a go. But can they make plays in the passing game? That, to me, CeeLo is how the Giants got to win this game. They need to make plays in the pass game the way they did in the second half against Arizona if they want to win this game. What I'd like to see in this game is some creativity and some scheming that you saw on the road against Minnesota in the playoffs. Playoffs, yes. Yes, you had Barkley for that game. Maybe you can make the case they were healthier. But right down the stretch last year for the Giants, it was like, okay, well, they don't have a ton of talent in the passing game. How do they overcome that? And I think a lot of that we gave the credit to the coaching staff, to Dable, to Kafka, to their schemes, to the play calling. Haven't seen a lot of that just yet. I feel like this is one of those games to overcome the loss of Thomas and likely Barkley not being up. And even if he is up, you know, if he's listed as doubtful, how impactful could he really be? How many plays is he going to get? And he's such a weapon for them both on the ground and in the passing game. Like, they're going to have to do some creative things. They're going to have to move the pocket with Jones. They're going to have to change the launch angle, the launch point. They're going to have to find a way to get Darren Waller the ball when you know the Seahawks, I'm sure, are going to be keying on him. So that's really what I'm looking for. With the extra time to prepare, down some bodies, down some personnel, what can they scheme up creativity-wise to maybe catch Seattle off guard? Maybe it's a big player or two here or there that could swing this particular game. I haven't checked the line recently. I know at one point. It's moving against the Giants. So right now, as we speak on FanDuel, I believe, and I want to make sure I have this. It's one and a half. I'm on Fandle right now as we speak. Seattle by one and a half. They ruled out Thomas and down and listed Barkley as doubtful on Saturday. So, yeah, I mean, it doesn't shock me, but I mean, we're expecting a tight game. We always talk about how often these games are right on the number. So, is it that one one play or two on offense, a chunk play, uh, a gadget play, a trick play, something like that that could potentially swing the outcome? And listen, that defense, can it get after the quarterback? I mean, that to me is the key for the Giants defensively. We know that they have an experience in that secondary and guys are going to get exposed at times in that secondary. If they don't get after the quarterback, that defense is going to have a lot of problems. Well. Yeah, and look, you know, Geno's a guy that can use his legs a little bit, but hes I still would call him more of a traditional. He wants to throw the ball. Yeah, he wants to throw the ball. Stand in the pocket and throw the ball. So they got to find a way to get after him. Um, Do you think the Giants now, I had a bad week. Back-to-back bad weeks. I went 5-0 and week two. Everything was coming up, JJ. Last two weeks, not so great. Uh, a little bit of a give back. I have the Giants. That would get me to 2-3 and three this week. Mm-hmm. Do I get to 2-3 and three this week? I took them. Now, I, I took them. You're going for a 5-0, and aren't you? No, I will say I put that selection in before 
the injury report came out with Thomas and Barkley. Obviously, that kind of pours some cold water on the pick a little bit. Um, it's probably a bit of an emotional selection for me, both um, from the standpoint of the local angle and also looking at it from their perspective of knowing the enormity of the game, like we already talked about, with what's to, what's to come schedule-wise, the extra time off, back at home, primetime game, all those things. I mean, on paper, missing two key players doesn't look great, but something just tells me they're going to find a way, because if not, you know, their season could quickly go off the rails here. All right, before we say goodbye, we talked about this on SNY. I'm not stunned with the show Walter News. I feel for Buck. That was that was tough to watch. I did not get a chance to hear his comments until we did Sports Night. And I legitimately felt like pain for the guy because you know what it is? Well, he's such a baseball lifer. You know how much it means to him. He's probably never going to manage again. I don't think so at his age. And now they want these young guys. The nerds want to be able to micromanage everything. That's just all there is to it. So I don't think Buck's managing again. That was painful. But knowing Stearns is coming in, I can't kill the Mets on this. They want to hire their own guy. How can you fault them on that? Yeah, and look, if it's not Craig Council, uh, and if it's not, I mean, you brought up Alex Cora on the show, if he should shake loose with the Red Sox. To me, when I read about Stearns and read about how he wants to have control and have his hands on everything, that's that to me smells of another one of these guys that maybe doesn't have much of a track record, not, not, not a big name, right? Something somewhere along those lines, one of these collaborators... Oh, the collaborators, please. Data applicators. Data applicators, right, exactly. From Buck's standpoint, man, yeah, it was hard to watch, hard to listen to, but he has seemed like a beaten man for a while now. Sure Understandably has. so with the way the season went, but like it, it, it seemed inevitable that we were heading in this direction. We know the Mets have been pursuing Stern since heck last winter. It was just a, a matter of actually getting him to sign on the dotted line. And once he actually did, it seemed like, you know, we, we could figure out what was to come next. Um, look, there was a lot to like about 2022 until the late stages of the season. Obviously, this the wild card round against the Padres. This year was just such a big disappointment. For, and and the, look, the Diaz injury was huge, but I mean, they still had a lot to work with, a lot left over when you go back to the beginning of the year. Last time we spoke, which I think was in like late April, right? When everything was still out in front of these two teams. And for the Mets, you know, with the horses that we thought they had at the front of the rotation, you look at the end-of-season numbers for Alonzo and Lindor, they're really strong. But when they needed them early on in May, early June, it just wasn't there. Like, they never found that next gear, and they never found sort of that, you know, burnt that, that, uh, that, that got to that next level. And I'm not going to fully fault the manager, but I don't know. It just seemed like something was missing. I don't know exactly what it was this year. Multiple things, clubhouse mix, whatever the case may be. But up until they'd made the decision to sell off, it was very underwhelming and disappointing. Sad to see Buck go out that way, but it is what it is, man. It's it's the nature of the beast. Uh, don't expect any changes in the Bronx, by the way. Uh, run it back, lifetime contracts. The judge is pushing back publicly a little bit. Uh, about time. He supported the manager, which I know bothers you, and I understand why. But there does seem to be a little bit of a divide, at least in what he's saying publicly, as it pertains to the front off. Seems like they're sick of these analytics guys. Man, maybe it's the analytics guys, but there has been some pushback on whatever's going on behind closed doors. I know that, you know, Hal kind of threw it out there, the, you know, threw out the chum to the fan base about, well, we're going to bring the audit. Oh, whoop de doo. Well, let's see. Right. Let's. Yeah, real, real audit. Some actual, some actual changes, and then we can have a conversation. Exactly. See, well, don't be a stranger. Uh, hopefully, one more golf round in our horizon between now and the end of the year. I mean, listen, we've probably got another. Six to seven weeks of solid weather, I would say. Uh, golf. From your lips to God's ears. I mean, we had one just get wiped away last week. We did. 
We did, but this week ahead looks pretty good. I know you'll be getting out there. Maybe I'll be out there. Uh, I'll be out there in about ten hours, which I'm okay. I got to be ready for Miami, man. I got to have the game ready for Miami Beach Golf Club on Saturday, bro. Golf life. Listen, we'll be down there Sunday, hopefully for some giant blood. That's uh, that's what I'll be looking for. Uh, hopefully, a giant win for you on Monday night, though. That I am. You and for. I both. Yeah. Uh, so I will see you soon. Uh, hell of a back down the last time we played, by the way. That battleground. Yeah, it started rough. We decided no no warm up range. We'll take our breakfast ball. I needed about four breakfast balls on one. One was tough. Yeah, one, one was a struggle. No feel. I hadn't picked up a club in a month. But yeah, when we made the turn, the back nine was, you know, it wasn't overwhelming. It was, it was very, it was very consistent. It was seven bogeys and two pars. No birdies. That's good though. No doubles. We stayed right in that four and five range, and away we went with a back nine forty-two. Um, what would you say, my game progress being made? When we played last compared to the prior time, it's night and day. I mean, you're hitting the driver. You're getting nice flight up in the air on the balls now. We're not seeing as many ground balls and line drives. So there's there's a, there's a definitely, uh, we talk about glass half full. Yeah, we're getting there. We're getting there. We're getting there. Uh, but then you have setbacks, and that's what's frustrating. That's the key. Got to just, got to keep pushing. Got to keep pushing. Crystal Presti, we'll talk soon, buddy. All the love. All of it. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side by side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. All right. so. Trivia time. Had a rough day. And a couple of quick thoughts around the league before we hit trivia. Dolphins, Bills, listen, the Bills, after what we saw in week one, they've been an absolute machine. Allen has been a machine. The Bills defense owned the Miami Dolphins at the line of scrimmage. They own both lines of scrimmage. Sometimes football can be a really simple game. That's what ended up happening. Tip cap. Disrupted to a but this game's not about the Miami offense. The Miami defense. Why Xavier Howard is not guarding Stephon Diggs, I have no idea. Boy, did they miss Jalen Ramsey in the absolute worst way. And they're going to have to be a lot tougher and a lot more physical if they're going to go to Buffalo, if they have to win January and win that sort of game. So, until further notice, the Buffalo Bills are still a team to beat in the AFC East. That could change. But until... They are not the AFC's champs. They're a team to beat. That's what that game on Sunday proved to me. Patriots, worst loss in the Bill Belichick regime. Mac Jones stinks. Stinks. To the point where I would play Bailey Zappi next week if I'm Bill Belichick. That's how bad Mac Jones is. First of all, he acts like a punk. Second of all, he plays like a punk. He stinks. He doesn't scare anybody down the field. The Patriots don't scare anybody down the field. They're, they're not a good offensive team. And now Drew Don and Gonzalez are hurt. That was a whooping the Cowboys put on. Pickett, down for the Steelers. 
Give D'Amico Ryans and C.J. Stroud a lot of credit. Give them a lot of credit. They're 2-2. Two and two. They're in all these games. C.J. Stroud's better than I thought he was. D'Amico Ryans looks like he can coach. I had a terrible loss with the Colts today. The, what a tease that was. Down 20-something nothing to come all the way back to tie that game and a flame out and lose the damn game in overtime. Oh, that was brutal. That was brutal. So that was the takeaway for me. Commanders, Rivera, you score the touchdown late in the fourth quarter. Go for two. I, I thought he was Riverboat Ron. I thought he was Riverboat Ron. Well, what is that shit kicking the extra point? You're not the better team there. Ron, your best chance to beat the Eagles is getting that two-point conversion. They didn't do it, and sure enough, they end up losing the game in overtime. Hate to say I told you so. And the Raiders. I, I, only the Raiders could get the gift on the fourth down from the Chargers. Get an insane Adams completion. And then see Asante Samuel pick that game off. I mean, no, if that game didn't sum up Raiders and Chargers in a nutshell, I don't know what will. I don't know what will. So those are a couple of takeaways I had uh, from watching week four. Big winners without a doubt the Buffalo Bills. And uh, it's going to be a long week for me. It's going to be a long week. I need Florida and Giant fans, I love you. We're not going to be on good terms this week. No, I'm just putting it out there. I'm, I'm alpha boy. I'm alpha boy. J- just so you know. That kind of week, that kind of day. All right, Larry, I'm ready for trivia. You better not be alpha blood. Let's go. Hey, Jay, Larry. Two, two trivia today. Last year, Jeff McNeil led, led the major leagues in hitting with 326. Currently... There's five guys right now hitting over 330. Can you name them? Question two. Name the four pitchers that threw 200 innings this year. I'm out. Four pitchers over 200 innings. Well, I got one right right off the tip of my tongue. The American League Cy Young Award winner, soon to be, Garrett Cole. One down, three to go. Three other pitchers to, to, to throw 200 innings this year. You got to think about guys who did not get hurt. Uh, Jordan Montgomery with Texas. <laughs> Guess not. Took a shot there. Definitely not Snell. He doesn't go deep enough in the games. Uh, Zach Gallen with Arizona. Two down, two to go. Uh, number three, Zach Wheeler. With the Philadelphia Phillies. Mm. Uh, Aaron Nola with the Philadelphia Phillies. Mm. All right, we got two more. 200 innings. Uh, Kevin Gaussman, Toronto. Mm. Mm. Uh, Chris Bassett, Toronto. We need one more. Gallon, Bassett, Cole. It's amazing only four guys through 200 innings. Isn't that insane? Isn't that freaking insane? Uh, Framber, Valdez, Astros. Mm. All right, I'm going to take a stab at one more guy. Justin Steele with the Cubbies. Mm. Stefan, who's the last guy? Logan Webb was the last guy that you missed out on. Ah, with San Francisco. He had a good year. I probably would have given you like five other guys. I had him in fantasy. Had a good year. 
All right, there are five guys batting-wise over 300 or 330. By the way, proud of my effort there. Very proud of my effort, Larry. Uh, number one, it's got to be Luisa Rice. Easy. One down, four to go. Uh, number two, Freddie Freeman. Two down, three to go. Um, Ronald Acuna Jr. Three down, two to go. All right, I like where I'm at here. Guys hitting over 330. I don't think he's there, but I'm going to take a shot anyway. Mookie Betts. Mm. Yeah. Um, 330 or higher with a batting average. Uh, Seager with the, uh, with the Rangers. Four down, one to go. I mean, you got to go with guys who had monster years. I need one more. Steph, American and National League player. This guy is an American League player. All right. American League guy. Randy Arozarena. Mm. Oh, I miss it. Who on Tampa? Oh, I'm annoyed. Is it Yandy Diaz? There we go. There we go. We saw him at the All-Star Game, Stefan. Took me long enough. Good effort for me today. Very proud of that effort, Larry. Came to play. All right, Jeff Bunny. I know you came to play. What do you got, pal? What up, JJ? Jeff Money here at Handicapper Picks. It'll be for Monday, October the 2nd. You already know the play. It's a family play. We got the Giants together. Pick them. Uh, it was pick them actually then, and now it's, what is it now, plus one and a half, but we have it uh, marked down as a pick them. Uh, so far, after the 1 o'clock game, I'm posting this voicemail. I'm one and one hitting with the uh, Vikings and lost with the Brown game. That without watching, that was just a mess that came uh, since we did no notification on that. But it is what it is. I got three games remaining. We're both, we got a family play with the Cowboys. Hopefully they, uh, won by the time, uh, you put out this pod. And, uh, and I also got the Jets, as you know, see what happens with them. And Monday night again with the Giants, we got a family play. Okay. Everyone can always follow all my plays on Twitter at Jeff Money. All right, JJ, I'm out of here. Let's go. Let's go, Jeff Money. The Giants are the difference from a two and three week for your boy. Yet another one and four. So, I don't want another one and four. Um, Giants, not going to have Thomas. Barkley, doubtful. But a game they need to have. At Miami, at Buffalo the next two weeks. That's as daunting a back-to-back on the road as you're going to have. Can the Giants open up this offense? Can the Giants make some plays down the field and exploit a defense that has been exploited over the first three games of this year? Very telling game for the Giants Monday at MetLife Stadium. We'll be rocking live Twitter spaces right after Giant Seahawk wrap up. Stay tuned on my Twitter page for when we'll get started. It might be at 1130. It might be at 12. It might be at 1145. But in that half hour range, when the game goes final, we'll be on spaces, rocking and rolling, turning into a podcast. Thank you for listening. Good job by Stefan. Back in 24 hours. You don't stop around here. JJ out. Enjoy your Monday. Be good, everybody. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 100 Gambler or visit FanDuel.com slash RG. Colorado, Iowa, 
Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777, or visit ccpg.org Connecticut, 109 within Indiana, 1-800-522-4700, or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOPPING Louisiana, visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland, Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit GamblingHelplineMA.org or call 1-800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now.